Over the last two decades, I've been on a quest to learn everything I can about leadership, obsessed with what makes the best leaders so good. After running companies small and large for the last 20 years, today I speak on stages all across the world to audiences who are interested in that same question. My name's John Laredo, and I'm your host. I invite you to join me on this journey as we explore this topic. What makes the best leaders so good? Welcome to Tomorrow's Leader. All right, welcome to today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader, where we dive deep on all things leader-related, leading yourself and leading other people and leading a great life. Uh, I wanted to uh, continue where we left off last time. We had, hopefully you listened to the episode on the top 10 or 10 of the top 20 ways that leaders erode trust in their organization or in relationships. And maybe one or two of them stuck out to you and you said, hey, you know what? I think I can do something about that. And that's the point of this. Hopefully you come out of these better version of yourself than you came in. And I've gotten such great feedback on that first uh, episode last week. Um, Tons of stuff. No, I'm just kidding, actually. See, I was just testing you there just to see if you were paying attention because I'm in the same outfit. I'm actually doing part two on the same day. So it hasn't even posted yet. So I was just testing your uh, your uh, awareness and observation. So let's actually go through. We're going to talk today about the next 10. So these are 10 more things that we could be doing that might erode trust in your relationships or in your organization. And again, just to say what I uh, started with last week, that these are all examples of things that I have firsthand seen leaders do, and in some cases, great leaders do, and in many cases, these, these are things that they are doing that they don't even realize they're doing. That's what makes it even more impactful is the fact sometimes we intentionally do something, we can expect a certain result. The worst thing is when we get a negative consequence from something we didn't even, we didn't even know we were doing. We had no intention of that. That wasn't our objective, but we had no idea that that was happening. So ultimately, let's continue with this uh, with this list. The first one, so I'm going to start with number 11 since we did number 10 through uh, 1 through 10 last time. Uh, number 11 is I've seen leaders that admonish or punish in public, right? So I've seen leaders that ultimately... Uh, will uh, ne- give negative feedback and ultimately impact uh, people in a public setting or uh, chew someone out or make somebody feel stupid, whatever it is. And uh, I have seen that on more occasion than you would imagine. I've been on the receiving end, I know as a new advisor, I've been all kinds of situations I've seen that. And all that ultimately does is break down trust, the theme of today's, uh, t- today's episode. Now, there are certain occasions where that might be effective and needed in some cases. When you have somebody that's so extremely uh, either breaking, uh, overstepping a key guiding principle or value of the organization or doing something so egregious or maybe being disrespectful to other people, that would be a time to uh, call that person out in a public setting. Uh, but other than that, if it's feedback on performance or some issue, the general rule is you praise in public and you punish in private. Uh, that goes for us as parents, with kids, whatever the case may be, uh, that's a good rule of thumb to think about. 
Uh, number 12, I see leaders oftentimes, this is a really key uh, problem, and I do, I do workshops just on this one topic, is they lack a clear vision of their organization. And let me just give you a sense of what this is like. If you have ever been in a, uh, if you've ever been, uh, whether it's in an, uh, there's a, there's a um, leadership exercise where you take somebody into uh, a room or an auditorium and you're leading them around and the person being led is blindfolded. So they have no idea where they're going and they're being led. It is incredibly uncomfortable. You're stepping in places, you don't know what's in front of you, you don't know where you're going, and you're totally trusting this person, and you're blindfolded, you have no idea where you're going. Or it's like being thrown in the back of a car blindfolded, and you know you don't know where you're driving to. There's this anxiety level there, right? So if you're actually walking, you can't walk fast, you're, just, you're afraid to go, you don't know where you're going. Well, that's what being in an organization where you don't have a clear vision, you don't know where you're going. Why are we doing what we're doing? And, and if I don't know where I'm going, how can you expect me to really run my fastest and work my hardest to get to this unknown place, this destiny that I don't know if it's self-serving and if it's for your benefit, if it's something I want to be a part of? I mean, that's, that's a basic premise of building trust and ultimately getting great performance out of an organization. You have to be one with that vision. And that's got to be crystal clear. The test that I always do if I go into an organization, I'll ask people all across the organization, what's the vision of this organization? And it's unbelievable, one, how many people usually don't know what it is, can't articulate it, or if they do articulate it, how much variation there is. Uh, oh, okay, that's interesting. I didn't know that, that was where you thought the organization was going because I have the leader telling me something totally different. That's a problem, right? That's a big problem. I could spend an entire... Uh, probably 10 episodes on this topic. And I'll do another episode on this pretty soon because it's a, uh, there's a ton of, of content there. But think about it. If you're, if you're leading a team and you're coaching a team, it may not just, your vision may be different. It may not just be what's assumed. It may not be, hey, our vision is to win. Uh, because that might be the assumed vision. Maybe it's something different. Hey, maybe it's we want to do something different than every other team, or we want a certain reputation, or we want a certain style of play, or maybe we want to come away with a few certain specific records this season, uh, or we want to uh, uh, advance to a certain conference, whatever it is. You sometimes assume as the leader, well, yeah, of course everybody knows the vision. We want to grow by 20% or we want to win. Well, I mean, that's obvious. No, it's not. You know what? It's not. And it may not be a vision that everybody wants to be a part of. So um, that's number 12. Number 13, um, I see organizations full of people sometimes that are very self-promoting. I've seen leaders that are self-promoting. Um, I had a uh, leader on here, Larry Post, who was fantastic. He was always so good at promoting other people. Uh, if I, if I might have been two levels below him, and, and, and when I was a new leader, he would he would recognize me to his boss or his boss's boss at, for doing a great job. And I was blown away. I was like, wow. What? And, you know, he would say, hey, you know, so-and-so, I just want to let you know what a great job John did with this. I cannot tell you how far that went for me and how much trust that built in, in, with me toward Larry because I knew Larry had my best interest. Phenomenal leader. And he got me to work even harder for him 
for myself, but for him because I trusted him and I know he wanted the best in me. And great leaders do that. They promote other people. They put the spotlight on other people. And by the way, when you do that, ultimately that reflects well on Larry, right? If I do that for my people, that's going to reflect well on me. When my people do great, sure, the spotlight shines on me too. But if I point it at them, that's how I'm going to get the most out of them. But ultimately, I'm going to help them get as far as possible in their careers. Okay, number 14. This is one I see a lot of times too. I've asked people in their organization a question. And the question is, how do you feel that you are doing in your role? Which is a really interesting question. Just throw out there and just sit back and listen. Um, And what's interesting is not so much even the answer as it is the whether it's consistent if I have an opportunity to ask that same question of the leader. So for example, their leader. Uh, I might ask uh, Bill, uh, how do you feel you're doing uh, in your role on a scale of one to 10? And Bill might tell me he thinks he's doing an, uh, an eight. And I go to Susan, who's his leader, and I say, Susan, how do you think Bill's doing in his role? And she says a five. Okay, that's a problem, right? And the problem is that there's obvious to me a lack of feedback. There's a lack of Susan communicating to Bill that he's underperforming because a five would be underperforming, right? Bill is walking around and running around and leading his day and doing his job thinking he's doing an eight, when in reality, his boss thinks he's doing a five. Now, that seems like an obvious thing that, okay, well, you know, wouldn't that always be a feedback loop? No, there's not. I see this all the time. People think that they are doing better than they really are, or in some cases, it's the opposite. That person may think they're doing a five and the boss thinks they're an eight. Okay, well, that's the negative. That's the opposite side. You got a problem there with somebody who really is beating themselves up, not appreciating the fact that they've really done well. And in reality, that appreciation or recognition has obviously not come to them. They don't know it. They don't know their boss feels that good about them. So either one of those is good. I should hear the same answer from the boss as I should that person. Okay, and that comes with feedback. Great leaders are really good at giving feedback. Hey, here's, and I always did it the same way. I did it like, you know, the, like a, a sandwich. Uh, it was a positive, a negative, a positive. Hey, I just want to tell you, you did a great job in that meeting, leading that meeting the other day. Here's a couple things that I really want you to focus on. I think you can do better. Blah, 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 blah. And then, hey, but again, keep it up. You got huge potential. And again, I love the way you wrapped up the meeting too. You left it on a really positive note. Okay, there's a great example. It's like a sandwich, a feedback sandwich. Positive, negative, positive. So if I'm working with somebody and I'm a coach, I'm a teacher, parent, or whomever, and I'm leading somebody, give them feedback that way. Positive, negative, positive. Leads them off feeling good, but they get the constructive feedback in there so that they can make some improvements. And be specific. This is another whole episode something I'll talk about called the whole message model where you get specific. If I just tell you, hey, you know what? I really think um, your style of presenting is just not really drawing people in. Okay, that's, you know, people are getting bored. They're not listening. Okay, that's that's really good f- feedback for me to know, but I don't have anything to, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm doing that's that's making that happen. It's gotta be specific, right? Well, your style of speaking is not drawing people in and they're losing attention. And here's the reason why. I saw you do this. You took too long to get to your points. You didn't have enough stories in there. Start off with a story. Grab their attention. Whatever it is. That's constructive. Now I can do something about it. But I see leaders that don't either don't give any feedback or don't know how to give the right feedback 
or they don't give feedback because of number two. They don't know how to give the right feedback, right? So they just don't give it. Major, major problem. All that does is erode trust in an organization. Uh, Okay, number 15. Uh, I see leaders a lot of times that don't know anything about their people. And I'm not talking about work stuff. They don't know any personal stuff. So if I have a leader that does not know that I have two kids, that I have a dog, you know, where I live, what my interests are, I'd like them to know my kids' names. Uh, if I'm married, I'd like to know them, them to know my spouse's name and, and know something about them and know my interests and what I like to do outside of work. I'd like them to take an interest. And even if it's asking at the beginning of a one-on-one, hey, you know, how's family life going? What's going on here? That just shows me that they care. And it's not just about what I'm doing in the workplace, right? Uh, I see that all the time. I, I love when um, leaders can can tell me all kinds of stuff. They, they know, you know, it's holiday time or something. They get them a gift and they get them a perfect gift because they know that person. Hey, I know this person really likes this. And then this is what I got them because I know they're going to like it. That's that's like really knowing your people, right? You build trust. That leader that doesn't know that much about you outside of work, that's just not a very trusting relationship, right? Okay, number 16. This is a big one too. And this, this may be one of those things, well, what does this have to do with trust? Having success, okay? Having success, a track record of success or success in an area breeds trust. It breeds confidence, which is another dimension of trust. Now I have a more trusting relationship with this person. I'm going to have blind faith like that Blue Angels pilot. When I know that lead pilot knows what they're doing and has success, I'm not going to trust the fact and look another direction if if this is a brand new pilot that's only had, you know, 100 hours of, of fly t- flight time or new to the Blue Angels. I'm not going to feel really comfortable with that, right? But if they've had success and I know they know their, their stuff, I'm going to feel much more comfortable going out and having 100% commitment toward it, right? And toward that person. I remember a point in my career, I was getting trained by somebody who was a excellent trainer. I mean, a really, really great trainer. And taught me great language and how to approach certain things and great advice and all kinds of stuff. But this person was not having and did not have a lot of success in their business. What they were training me how to do, they were also doing themselves, but they were not having success, which made me think, okay, well, then maybe the stuff you're telling me doesn't work. Maybe I can't really trust what you're, the advice you're giving, right? If it's not working, uh, it would be me, like me you know, working with a personal trainer that's out of shape. Okay, well, if you're, not, if you're doing the things you're telling me to do, wouldn't you be, be in shape? Um, that's important, right? So your own success at something will play into you building trust in that relationship because they're naturally going to have more confidence, right, in, in what you're telling them to do. That's another element of it. Okay, uh, let's talk about number 17. I see leaders do this also. Uh, they are asking their people some things that they are not willing to do themselves. Um, and this could be anything. It could be, hey, you got to start your day at seven o'clock in the morning, but the leader rolls in at nine. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a time where you do that. Hey, maybe you've put in your dues for many years, but you have to be conscious that if you're not doing something, ultimately it builds resentment a little bit. Unless they have witnessed you do certain things that have really earned your, seen you earn your stripes, you got to be careful of doing things, of setting an example that you're not willing to do the things that you're telling other people to do. 
uh, hey, I want you to you know work nights, but you're not willing to do it. Uh, or hey, I want you to to go through this process and and get a designation or a certain license, but you don't have it yourself. So I see leaders that do that, uh, and all that does is there that weakens them. Uh, and it's okay to be transparent and say, hey, listen. I really need you to do this, and this is going to help you and the organization, and here's why. And this was not something I was able to do, and I didn't do it. I regret it now not doing it because here's where this would have put me. I want to help you get to a better place. That, that's, a good, that's a good explanation for why I'm asking you to do something that I wasn't either willing or able to do. Right? That can be, that can be uh, actually a positive in building trust. Okay? Um, let's talk about number 18. Um, this is really the nonverbal stuff, and I see people do this all the time, and some of this is really obvious. Some of it may not be, though. Um, I see people that have nonverbal behaviors that break down trust. Okay, one of the first things is eye contact. You know, from 20 years of my career, I used to interview people and hire people. And the first thing, you know, if I saw somebody with lack of eye contact or shifty eyes, that to me is lack of trust. There's something there that they're looking to hide or not tell me. Maybe they're nervous, but eye contact is a big one. Um, but I see it with uh, hands, too. And, and when people are, for example, covering their mouth. So if I did a podcast and I'm doing this, and for those of you who are watching on YouTube, you see this, you know, this to me is saying that there's something I'm hiding. You see people on talk shows like that sometimes and, you know, whatever, playing with their beard. Um, that's breaking down trust. There's something there that is you're trying to hide. That's my impression every time I see somebody. Now, I gesture a lot, so I just got to be careful myself to not have my hands you know, blocking my face. Uh, my eyes and my mouth, my face, that's going to be the, the window of trust. Um, but I, I also see this too. I see sometimes your body is not pointed in the way it's communicating that you are disinterested. Go back to my example last week about one of my bosses who would never look at me and his body was totally turned in an opposite direction when we'd have our one-on-ones. I mean, that's just overt and obscene. Like, okay. But I'm talking about something a little less obvious than that. Uh, if I'm dealing with two people uh, and my body is t- tilted toward one person, I'm communicating that that I feel that one person is more important than the other. I know it sounds really small, but I, I focus on that. I, I pay attention to those details because whether you realize it or not, that is something that's a message that's being received by the other person. Um, you could be in a sales situation with a, two spouses and one, your body is pointed toward one, your shoulders are pointing toward one, and you're communicating to the other that they're not as important. Uh, it absolutely uh, is the case. So there's all kinds of different nonverbal things that can communicate uh, a lack of uh, trust or erode trust. Um, And these are things that you can ask people uh, to observe you uh, with if these are any of these things that that pertain to you. Uh, Number 19, here's one that I hear a lot of times. I'll ask a question and then that person will repeat the question. Um, So, you know, it might be. (laughs) And what this does, it always is interesting. So, you know. Uh, it, it might be, you know, hey, what uh, the question might be, you know, what did, what did how did last Wednesday go? Uh, and they'll say, how did last Wednesday go? Um, well, it went pretty, you know, and it's it's a really weird habit that certain people have. But all it does is now start to to send the message that you're thinking up an answer 
that may not be the real answer. So I'm buying time. I'm repeating the question because I'm buying time so I can think of the answer I want to give you, not the one that you're really asking and deserve and the real answer. Okay, so if you're one of those that has that habit, which is a bad habit of repeating a question every time somebody asks you it, get rid of that. That's a uh, horrible one. Uh, okay, last one I want to cover, and I could probably go through 10 more, but last one I'm going to cover today is uh, is anytime you as a leader have two versions of yourself, and I had this for a period of time. I had my work self and I had my personal self. Now, I'm not saying that everybody is exactly the same person. There's certain, certain ways I'm going to act maybe and be in my personal time with my friends that I'm not in work. But I will tell you, when there's such a big difference, for me, there was a huge difference for a period of time. When I first got into leadership, I thought I had to be this very stoic, you know, almost robotic, very like, you know, never tell a joke. And, you know, I had to be tough on people. That was just a style of leadership that I thought worked. And that's what I thought I needed to do. Now, outside of work, and for those of you who know me, I'm like really gregarious. I like that fun. I'm um, easygoing, and and that's that's who I am. Uh, doesn't mean that I'm not uh, easy. Go- uh, that I'm uh, not focused and kind of maniacal at times too. But that when I'm myself, I'm going to be a better version of myself. When people see and and pick up two versions of you, they get confused. Because they feel like, how, which side of you am I seeing? Or what version are you? And who are you tomorrow? Who are you going to be today? And I see leaders do this. They kind of put up a facade. They try to mask who they really are. Uh, and who and and sometimes for good reason, because who they are, their life might be a little bit of a mess or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, then that's another problem you got to fix. But if you've got these two versions, and I just remember I was at a, an event uh, and this was back a number of years ago when I was married, and my my uh, one of my advisors said something that, uh, or my my wife at the time was saying something, telling a story, and my advisor said, "What? Wait, wait a second, that doesn't sound like John." And John's like this, and it became really evident that they were talking about almost two different people. Yet it was me; I was standing right there, but it was my work person and my my personal life person. And I realized, you know what, that's not, I don't want to be that. I want to be my authentic self. And when I started being my authentic self and being real, my leadership effectiveness went through the roof. I start my, my effectiveness, my impact, my level of influence, my results went through the roof. And that's where my career really took off. So if you find you're that kind of person, you know, just realize just the, the easier route and more productive route is be who you really are. All right. So hopefully you got some good value out of this. Hopefully you're leaving today's uh, episode with uh, some good tools and resources and maybe one or two of these that uh, you've been guilty of. And now you're a better leader as a result of being aware of it. So keep liking these, share these, comment, keep giving me your ideas and uh, look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader for suggestions or inquiries about having me at your next event or personal coaching. Reach me at john at loritogroup.com. Once again, that's J-O-H-N at L-A-U-R-I-T-O-G-R-O-U-P.com. Thanks. Lead on.